Hello, I'm Zara, a self-published author of young adult and new adult fiction, a publishing grad student at NYU and an aspiring literary agent. Hi, I'm Kelly, a genre hopping writer, domestic goddess, which is a fancy way of saying that I am a stay-at-home mom and wife, and I occasionally captain the Hot Mess Express. And this is Writish, the podcast by writers for writers, where we discuss craft and hot topics in the writing community. This season, we're also starting to get into some interviews with other writers and industry professionals, so we're very excited for that and hope you'll enjoy those episodes as much as we did recording them. And for this episode, we would like to give a trigger warning because we may touch on traumatic experiences and we're not sure how deep we're going to go into explaining them. So just a little heads up that things might get really deep or really fast as we talk about our traumatic stories. I think the first thing we should do is address the stereotype of the tortured writer. If you can't already guess, a tortured writer is someone who channels their immense emotional turmoil into angsty writing or numbing the pain with drugs of some sort, which includes alcohol. Drugs and alcohol is not an accurate saying because alcohol is a drug. My ninth grade biology teacher would be very proud that I still remember her rant on that. Either way, the person isn't happy in their own life and whether they use their art to contract that by giving joy to other people like Van Gogh's artwork or if they're going to kind of wallow in it like Ernest Hemingway, they themselves are not happy. So as someone who has clinical depression and anxiety due to complex PTSD, I can definitely say I have been the tortured writer. I like to think that I haven't put that in all my stories, but we're going to talk about that later. But now that I'm having good treatment, I don't really see myself as being tortured anymore. And I was wondering what your thoughts are. So I definitely feel the same. I think starting out, I also fit into the tortured writer, tortured artist category. That's because I was writing with the intent to never be published. So writing for me was strictly a coping mechanism and not a career aspiration. After getting my official clinical diagnosis of DID, which we have talked about, so with my clinical dissociative identity disorder paired with an anxiety disorder, the act of writing became obviously a coping mechanism is what I was using it for. But since I've been going to therapy, I have been using it differently. It's not the only form of coping I have. But I feel that saying like a tortured writer or artist, like they aren't going to stay in that box forever. For many tortured writers or artists, it's a temporary place where we can express our most deepest, darkest frustrations and empty our cup of sorrow. And it's not a final destination. And I feel like therapy has really helped me with that. And it's really helped me branch off and kind of create other stories that I would not have tried to before, given the way that I was living before, if if I'm wording all this very properly. I want to make sure I'm wording it right, because I'm always worried about not getting my actual thoughts across. No, I think you're doing it well. Thank you. It's one of those like weird insecurities that... I have going on. I guess what I'm trying to say is wrapping this up. Every writer or artist has a chance to come out of the the tortured artist cliche that might be put on them or that they might admittedly fall into as we both have fell into that before. In our first episode, we talked about what inspired us to write and how deaths in our family affected us 
and partially inspired our first stories. But those weren't our personal uh, instances of suffering making its way into our stories. But um, and you can go into as much depth as you want to about your personal trauma. Have you ever taken what you've experienced personally and put it into a story? Not yet. I have obviously written about it in stories that aren't main projects to be published work just because a there's really no plot b it's very private but like as far as stories i want others to read i have not put my own suffering in it it depends because i do have a few ideas where i would like to talk about my experience but not in such a direct way it depends on how well symbols of character is received once upon a time in the future when that is published once upon a time in the future i like that (laughs) Yes, yes. Once upon a time in the future, because you girls and dreamer got lots of ambition and I have big plans for all of my projects. I understand though, with like how publishing is like series potential. Yeah. So depending on how symbols of character is received, I may be able to write my own story without writing my own story. She would go through very similar things that I went through but not come out with the same diagnosis. I would make sure that that was different. I think yours would probably be closer than what I even did to my character in my Stellar Blood trilogy. Again, I want to reemphasize the trigger warning that Kelly gave at the start of this episode. I am a survivor of sexual assault. It's not rape. I got PTSD from it. And then more than that, I was invalidated over and over again in my life about what happened. Now that I'm actually treating the proper diagnosis, things are a lot better for me, which like I said, I no longer feel like I'm the tortured writer. But my character in Stellar Blood, she gets PTSD from getting kidnapped by aliens, which is an ordeal. But then in the third book, it does escalate for her getting raped. And in the front of that book, I do give a specific trigger warning about which chapter it's in. Because I am a strong believer that books should have trigger warnings and, you know... Publishing could do a lot better with that. Could schools and yada. I'm not going to get on that soapbox or we'll never finish this episode. It is different than what I went through while also emotionally close to what I went to. So like I tried to be as true to my emotions as possible, even though the situation was different. Just to build off of that, I don't really talk about Project Scarlet Death a lot for many reasons. But the opening scene for Project Scarlet Death was her, the way she died. This is a book about death in the afterlife. And I don't know if it was just all the pent up frustration of my different experiences because I also am a survivor of sexual assault. I don't want to go super deep into the level it was, I guess. Which is your right. Yeah, but with that opening scene, I don't know if it stemmed from my personal experiences or not, but it basically was her left in a back alley for dead after being raped by three men. So there's that. There there was also what they did to her body afterwards and symbolic of how I felt after because 
it's one of those things where it's like people talk about it and they're like, oh, yes, there, there's stuff that happens after. But like feeling it after is like a lot of ugly feelings. Yeah. And then they, they make you feel ugly because unfortunately, like we live in a society that's like, you know, victim blaming and rape culture and all the shit. But if you've gone through anything similar, first of all, we are very sorry that the world has been hard on you. But also if you are listening to what we've gone through and have gone through something similar, but reacted differently, that's okay. We want to make clear that everyone's reaction to trauma is different. And we hope that you're dealing with it in a healthy way. And we understand that getting to that point can be a journey. And it it is. And I think that was very well said because everyone does react differently to trauma. And that leads me into how my trauma has been implemented in my stories without being directly tied to my trauma. So it's no secret I have dissociative identity disorder. This diagnosis can only be given when the severe abuse was happening in specific age groups of childhood. So building from that, Curse Breaker is a... I've talked about it before in one of my YouTube videos. It used to be my highest watched video, and now I think it was like the video where I left. (laughs) (laughs) Why I was leaving author too, because you know, I got to get that clickbait to you. Before then, Curse Breaker, I talked about it and where it started and where how it ended up being for me. And something that happens with people who have dissociative identity disorder is sometimes integration. And integration is quote unquote, like final fusion where all the alters become one person. And it's not just, oh, all the alters form back into the host and the host is still the same. It it doesn't work like that. The host changes as well. To be transparent, I had an integration the November that we moved out of our old house and we were living in birth. I had an integration with my protector Rose. I also changed and it wasn't just, oh, she's gone now. It was very hard because the only thing that I can compare it to is that someone who was there for me from a very young age of just a little girl who was dealing with a lot of shit that a little girl should not have to deal with. And she was there with me the whole time. And sometimes she was like my only friend. And then it's like, she died. So it's like, there's a certain amount of grief in the integration process and I'm still grieving for her. And there are still days where I miss her. And there are memories I have resurfacing now that we we have integrated because those were memories she was holding from me. So that way I could just function. So I'm getting all these memories and then I feel bad because I'm like, wow, no wonder she was always so angry and bitchy all the time. She had a lot to deal with. And then I miss her because I wish I could tell her that I was sorry for like, you know, saying she was like a party pooper and all this other lame shit that I was like going on about her with. But because of that integration, it scared me that I was eventually going to end up being alone. So like normally it's not normal for people to hear voices in their head. It's not normal for people to have alters, I guess. It's, but that is my normal. And so the thought of her leaving scared me with my others leaving and I didn't want that. So with Curse Breaker, I put in some inspiration from my inner world. So there are some characters in Curse Breaker that are based loosely off my alters. Some bits of the world are based loosely of how my inner world functions. And obviously also I kind of not write Curse Breaker without putting in Atla inspiration. And if you don't know what Atla is, it's Avatar The Last Airbender, my comfort show as a child. My comfort show too. (laughs) It is like, it's just one of those things where it's like, if you bring it up, 
like mostly everyone's going to know what you're talking about and you're just going to have like this nice little connection instantly. We're talking about the Nickelodeon animated show, not the trash fire that happened some years later. That's not real. I refuse to even name it. It doesn't exist to any fan. There's no live action in Bossing Say. I also think my love of tea came from Uncle Iroh and just like... I needed a figure like him in my life and I didn't have it. So I sought it out through animated characters. We all need an Uncle Iroh in our life. Like the reason Zuko turned out not like Azula is because he had Iroh. I could go on to a tangent too about Azula's uh, character psychology and how well that was done. Because everyone talks about Zuko's character arc and I, Zuko, that's my boy. I could also go on a tangent. I watched a very long video about it. We kind of mentioned her in our character creation episode from season one. And then we also, down the line, have some character study episodes planned. So I think for the sake of not making this episode too long, we should table our Azula psychology deep dives. Yes. I'll talk about like what exactly an inner world is because people with DID have inner worlds. It is also different for every system. I am not a monolith. Like I I don't speak for everyone who has DID. I don't speak for all the systems, but for my system personally, we travel around on a magical flying pirate ship. And the reason it can fly is because the sail is made out of pegasi feathers. So that's the reason it flies. In inner worlds, everyone has different limitations. I cannot ever get off the ship. However, if the ship is docked somewhere, my alters can leave the ship. But I can never leave the ship. If you're the captain or... I'm sorry, I'm, I'm still getting to know... Your system too. It's okay. Ares is definitely the captain. It is her ship. The ship is named Star Splitter, which is what our system name is. You will see that popped up in Curse Breaker because that's the name of the ship. But anyway, that's besides the point. Um, fun little Easter egg for anyone who's reading that. Maybe years down the line, someone, some kid's going to pick up the colorful legacy of Alara Everwolf and then listen to this podcast after and connect the dots. <laughs> or they'll have listened to the podcast and then be very excited for the book to come out like I know I will be. (laughs) True, true. Some people with their inner worlds though, like it's just them sitting at a table and sometimes the altars will be in spinning chairs and if the chair is spun around, that altar is gone. But if the chair is spun facing the table, then they're all there at the table talking. Some systems have a house that with specific rooms that the host can or can't go into. It just depends on the system and what their inner world looks like. I know my therapist told me that creative people is something in the brain that she thinks that people who are more creative, this kind of happens to at a level of abuse that we had just so that way we could survive. I took it as a compliment. I thought it was amazing. I was like, ah, yes, something my brain did right. I agree that I do think it is amazing. I think that we should talk about something that really stuck with me. In 2017, I went to NerdCon Nerdfighteria, which is John and Hank Green's giant fandom from their YouTube channel Vlog Brothers, which inspired another channel I love, the Super Carlin Brothers, but that's not the point here. <laughs> John Green, as you may or may not know, the author of The Fault in Our Stars, Paper Towns, Looking for Alaska, and a bunch of other ones, he has 
OCD. And he was talking about on a panel with other authors who he's friends with. And he was talking about the dangers of buying into the idea that your mental illness gives you superpowers because then you won't want to get treated because you think your creativity will go away. And he said that, first of all, you want to live as good a life as you can, which means you would want to reduce your suffering no matter what. For him specifically, and I'm now blanking on which book he said this about... But he said that when he's been properly treating his OCD, because sometimes he doesn't, and that's okay, we're all human, and sometimes even when we know that being treated helps us, sometimes we forget or something comes up and it impedes us from treating ourselves consistently. I'm not here to judge anyone for how consistent or inconsistent they've been with treating themselves with the help of a professional. I'm not saying to go onto WebMD and diagnose yourself. That's not what we are advocating for. But he said that when he was taking the proper meds and following the proper routines or whatever he was doing to handle his OCD, I'm not going to say cure because that's not a thing with mental illness. He was the happiest writing and he produced his favorite work because he didn't have to look at it and be like, oh, I was suffering so much, but at least the book is good. He can be proud of the book and know that he was doing okay at the time. And I really like that because the book that I was writing when I was hurting the most is probably never going to see the light of day and that's okay. I don't really need it to. But since I've been happier, I have been happier writing. And so why wouldn't you want to be happier in life doing everything you're doing, not just creativity wise? I was going to say to build off of that, I also, since I've been going to therapy and stuff and I stopped there for a while because I was like, oh no, I'm fine now. Everything's fixed. But like you said, it's not really fixed. But Whenever I am getting the proper help, the the way the system functions is amazing. And I do create better work in the sense of I'm not losing as many days. So for those who are unfamiliar with DID, I can lose weeks at a time and not remember anything that was happening. So for me, if I'm working on a story and then all of a sudden I'm gone for a few weeks, that's really discouraging to get back into working on it. But since I've been getting the proper help and stuff, I have been able to stay more grounded on this plane of existence and been able to creatively work and happily work and work on new projects. As Zara knows, I have a shiny new idea project at least like every quarter. (laughs) (laughs) It's great to hear about. Yeah. So it's something else too that you were talking about a story that you wrote that you don't think is ever going to see the light of day. I have something similar as a collection of my alters and their uh, quote unquote origin stories, I guess is an easy way to say, because whenever I first started going to therapy, I was like really curious about where exactly they came from or what event that was traumatic in my life formed them. And so whenever they would co-pilot with me, which means we are both co-conscious together, I would have them describe to me what they remember first. And now I have all of their little stories saved. So if down the line, everyone does integrate, I'm not gonna be alone alone because I can just go back and look at those that is like a big fear of mine I am afraid of like my my head and my voice finally being silent and being alone because I've never been alone I mean I can't imagine what it's like but I I understand the fear of being alone yeah and it's also weird too because Logan will talk about something about like needing to socialize or needing to be around other people like every once in a while because you know that's a human thing we are social and beings not me 
normally I'm like, what do you mean? I've talked to Veronica this week and me and Aries did this together and Kitty wants to make this recipe later this week. Like I have a whole social circle inside my own head. Yeah. I've always just been an introvert. And then I think my trauma made me even more so because I just didn't trust people. I mean, now that I have great author tube friends and friends from my publishing pro, things are a lot better for me. But I'm also not really someone who's like, in general, oh, I want to hang out with people. I'm, there are people who I would want to hang out with at a high frequency if possible. Like if, you know, if we live close to each other, I would certainly want that. But at the same time, I wouldn't be probably like Logan being like, oh, we should hang out with people. Okay, so I feel like we should talk about the main question, even if we haven't explicitly said it, is treating your writing as therapy catharsis or problematic? Is it one in some instances and the other other times? Is it both at the same time? What do you think? Well, I think that writing is an excellent way to cope, but should not be the only way that an individual copes. I think if it becomes the only coping mechanism, it, that's whenever it becomes problematic because not to stem off of this because as children, we both talked about how we wrote as children to cope. As children, obviously, writing comes a natural way to cope and that's okay because as children, we didn't have the resources to learn about other coping mechanisms. But I feel like- Or to be in control of our life in a way that we- could control our writing, which we talked about in our first episode of this whole show. Welcome to Writish, season one, episode one. Yes. Go back. It's a banger. <laughs> but um, I think if you just have one coping mechanism, whether it's writing or something else, if that coping mechanism is carrying all the weight of everything going on, it's going to be, get very exhausted very quickly. And that's something that writing did for me. It was my only coping mechanism. So whenever I'd write, it would be on like very spurts. I wasn't consistent at all because I would get tired very quickly with the whole writing bit. Someone might be different. If you're listening and you're different, that's awesome. Um, I think it's awesome that your coping mechanisms don't get exhausted. But as someone whose coping mechanisms do get exhausted, I think if you're an adult listening and you might feel similar to me, then maybe reach out and see what resources that you can use to find other coping mechanisms. I think um, with I agree with all of that. I also think that with the pandemic and because this isn't on YouTube, we can actually call it that instead of calling it like a euphemism such as the grand pancake or panini or panorama. Um, BetterHelp and other teletherapy apps have made therapy a lot more acceptable and normalized. And I saw on, you know, Twitter and also, you know, some non-white males saying everyone should do therapy now that you have time. You know, it's like there are, there's a lot of, so political, social, there's a lot of socio-political baggage when it comes to mental health and getting help for that. So in a lot of cases, it's not okay to even say that you have it, much less get it, try and get it treated and things like that. But with teletherapy, you can do it privately and yada, yada, yada. 
um, Kelly and I both happen to have like therapists outside of an app, but I think people need to be in touch with their emotions and it's not always about the bad things. Like sometimes you want to share a win and not just with your friends, but with a therapist so they can help you be like, okay, like this is really good. How did you get there? Like, do you want to repeat this and things like that? And also just so that they can remind you when you do have a downswing that like you have been happy and things like that. So I think what's really good is that it's been normalized more. There are still people who are judgmental and I think they're probably going to be judgmental about it for forever and probably about a lot of other things that I, you know, wish they wouldn't be. But yeah, if you have professional help, they're job is to basically teach you coping mechanisms. They're not going to solve your problems for you, but they're going to help you help yourself. I also want to add on to this with therapists. I recently had a spiral day because there's a lot of good things happening in my life right now. And growing up, I was not used to good things happening. So because there was so many good things happening in my life, I was freaking out because I was like, okay, something bad is going to come and like all this good is going to be taken away. I know it's the lies we tell ourselves but like in my head I'm like I don't deserve any of this I messaged my therapist and I was like so I'm having a weird kind of day and basically let her know everything that was happening and she worded it so nicely it was whenever bad things happen we have to process those and just because good things happen doesn't mean that there still isn't a process time for those good things So I was basically being overstimulated with a lot of good things happening and I did not know how to process any of that or under, like I didn't know that I needed a process time for all of these good things that were happening to me at once because it was very overwhelming and I became very anxious and then I was just spiraling down an anxiety pit to hell. But I had a therapist and she was my saving grace. (laughs) Yeah pulled me up out of that rabbit hole. Yeah. And then also, like you were saying, it shouldn't be the only outlet. I do think that creativity is amazing no matter what. But I would also worry, like Kelly was saying, where it kind of got exhausted as a coping mechanism for her, would worry that somewhere deep in your brain, you would start associating creativity with pain. And then if you weren't in pain, you would feel like that was missing, which again, goes back to the feeling that like your mental illness gives you superpowers. And it's a complicated thing. But I think that while you can work out your emotions through whatever your creative outlet is, I don't think that should be the only way you do it. It's still very isolating. I assume the creation process is mainly solitary, even if you're talking to other creators at the time, like this is what I'm working on. Like we do an author tube and things like that. And then if you start having a spiral day and you don't have any other outlet, then you could spiral even more. Things pass. I'm not going to be like, oh, this too shall pass because that's a really annoying (laughs) statement. You know what I hate? I hate it whenever people are like, your trauma made you stronger. It's like, bitch, I was a child. I needed to be safe. I did not need to be stronger. When you say that, I'm always like, I want that tattooed like (laughs) everywhere or something. Yeah. Like I hate that. People are like, oh, well, it made you stronger. Okay. First of all, the trauma 
I was a child, did not need it. I needed to be safe and secure, but it was not the trauma that made me stronger. It was my mindset and me trying to come over that trauma. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So we're not going to go into all the insensitive things people say while trying to be sensitive about mental health, but yeah, if you can get a therapist in whatever way, And do not turn your friends into your therapist because that's not what they're there for. And it's also not fair to them. Or your partner. Oh, yeah. Or your, yeah. (laughs) Just don't expect anyone in your personal life to be your therapist. They can help you through things. Like we've talked in the first episode of the show, we also talked about imposter syndrome and how your friends can help you combat those lies that your brain tells you. But get help if you can. And if you can't, then maybe try something like journaling. That is so that your creativity is not only tied to you feeling unwell. Yes. I like rarely use writing as a coping mechanism and I chalk that up to stable and healthy circumstances. So my writing serves more as an outlet for my creativity and my desire to tell stories and, you know, the the love and the passion that goes into it and how I want to make it a career because... How awesome would it be to turn something that kept me very safe and sane, blossom into something that I thrive with and make a career out of? Yeah, I think anyone who comes through their trauma, not because it makes them stronger and all that BS, but anyone who comes through their trauma and is able to create something beautiful out of it, I think that is something to be celebrated. And, you know, if you can profit off of that, that's great because money is necessary in this world. This has been the Reddish Podcast and we'll be back with another episode next week when we'll be discussing being an overwriter and an underwriter. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Reddish Podcast, on Twitter at write underscore ish and on Kofi at writeish. Bye. Bye.